Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, is it not? I'm going to do things a little differently this morning, and you're thinking, yes, we know, it's Resurrection Sunday. It should be, right? Uh, yeah, most churches on, you know, this time of year, you do, you know, they'll do something on Good Friday, and uh, and then they'll come together on Easter, and, and you look at the uh, what they call the Passion of Christ, the uh, uh, the death, burial, and then today is the resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ. And it's one of the few Christian holidays that we know, you know, that it, it happened on this day. Uh, and we actually we've been saying two thousand years since I was born, but it, we really are coming up right on two thousand years ago when when that all occurred. And uh, we're going to get there. But we've been going through Ephesians, and we come to this odd passage this morning that makes everybody mad. And um, I thought, you know, y'all are in good humor today. So, you know, you're all getting ready to go home and eat meals and Easter and all that. So I thought, hey, I'm going to sneak this through, and we're going we're gonna to go ahead and look at Ephesians 6, and believe it or not, we're going to wrap it around to the resurrection and uh, Jesus. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter... 5, and uh, starting in verse uh, 22. Now, before we even get into this today, we're going to do something. I've never done this before. We're, we're, church has is, is, uh, been doing this for years, but um, we're going to do something crazy because this passage is all about marriage. And so some of y'all may think, well, it doesn't affect me because I've been married a long time or I've not married yet or whatever. But what, what I want to do, look, everybody here that is married. Okay. Why don't we just stand up? Wow. That's that's really cool. All right. Uh do we have any 50 years? No. So see, in our church we've got some that that's crazy. I mean, and congratulations. Really. Congratulations because what that means is that everybody here is super affected by marriage, okay? And that's my whole point. I don't put anybody on the spotlight. We don't really, you know, I've always wanted to do that. Visitors, why don't you stand this morning? But I don't ever do that. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's crazy because we live our whole life with, uh, or we're supposed to, you know, with, with one person. And uh, we never really read the manual on how it's supposed to be done. And there's what the world tells us that it's supposed to look like. And we see that everywhere. I will get into that here in a little bit. It doesn't look good out there, folks. Um, it's, uh, it's terrible. And most of us, you know, before we came to the Lord, we've probably had some of that. You might be living through some rocky times now. And part of that, I will just tell you right now, without knowing your situation, you've got issues in your marriage. If you're basing it on what the world says marriage should be and not what God says it should be. And so if you will with me revisit what the Bible says, you can fix it. And what a good morning it is on Easter morning to, to, to see this all come together with the love of Christ and what Christ did for us. And I hope you can leave here with a whole different perspective of how important marriage is. So uh, I did all that, so you're kind of happy. You're all smiling right now. So this is good. All right. Ephesians 5, verse 22. And we're going to go to the end of the chapter. Now, we're going to read the whole thing, and we'll come back. So everybody... I should probably have the ushers just lock the doors. Just you can't leave till you hear me out. Okay. Wives, it says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife is also Christ as head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. 
This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there you have it. Now, in order to understand this entire thing, you got to back up and see that uh, in verse 18, it says there, don't be drunk with wine, which is uh, disposition, but be filled with the Spirit. And so on that but, but be filled with the Spirit, everything that follows after that has to do with that phrase. So be filled with the Spirit. And then it says, speak to one another in a certain way, give thanks in a certain way. Verse 21, submit to one another. And then wives, submit to your husbands, husband, love your wives. All of this is done under the, the idea of being filled with the Spirit. Now, as Christians, you, you came to the Lord, and then the Lord put His Spirit in you. So we're supposed to look different than the world. Guess what? Our families should look different. Our marriages should look different. Other people should be able to look at you, and they should be able to see just by looking at how you live your life as a married couple, you believe in something a little different than the rest of the world does. So what are we trying to say in the church? You know, I'm going to start this with what we're not saying. It doesn't say in verse 22, wives submit to men everywhere. Wives, women, you're you're inferior to men everywhere. It doesn't say anything about that. In fact, the Bible teaches something very different. Um, Let's see. It's over in Proverbs. You can turn over there with me. Proverbs 31. This talks about uh, a virtuous wife, which if you're not married, these are things to to aim for. Um, But I want you to look what we're not seeing here. You're not seeing servant, subservant, subspecies, female. You're not seeing that here. Look at what we do see. This is Solomon, by the way, and he had he had three hundred concubines and seven hundred wives. And he writes, "Who can find a virtuous wife?" Apparently, he couldn't. Um, her worth is far above rubies. And he's sitting here with all of, the, and he built homes, by the way, for all of his around uh, Jerusalem. Look, I mean, he was a builder just just due to the wives. I'd say I can't afford you if if a thousand and one showed up. Um, her worth is far above rubies if you can find her. The heart of her husband, safely trust her. So if you're that kind of woman, then your husband safely is trusting in you. He'll have no lack of gain. For she does him good and not evil. That's the Christian wife, doing good, not evil. You can take that, however, all the days of her life. But then look at this. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's a worker. So if you say, well, in the Christian home, the man does the work. Well, maybe, maybe not. It depends on your culture at your home. If you're a go-getter and you go work, do your work as under the Lord. Men and women in our country work. The Bible supports that just fine. Um, she willingly works with her hand. She's, uh, it says, like the merchant ships, she brings her food from afar. In other words, she's a go-getter. She leaves the cave, she goes and kills it and brings it home. Uh, She's doing good for the family, pulling in the same direction as her husband. She rises while it's yet night, in other words, early in the morning perhaps, and provides food for her household. That doesn't mean she cooks it all. This is actually um, in the language saying she's going to kill it to bring it home. So she's a go-getter. a portion for her maidservant. She considers a field and buys it. She's a businesswoman here. She's going and buying fields because she says, this is good for the family. I'm, I'm doing something here. She profits. Uh, for her profits, she plants a vineyard. So she's making money. This, this girl here would excite some young fellows, you know, um, because she's a, she's a go-getter. And so I want you to see, you know, what we're looking at. She girds herself with strength. She strengthens her arms. So this chick is working out, apparently. Uh, she perceives that her merchandise is good. Her lamp does not go out by night. Um, that's actually a sexual innuendo. Um, she perceives that she's pretty hot. So her, her merchandise, her lamp doesn't go out by night. She stays up late with her husband. Take that as you will. 
but this this girl is is the woman that Solomon says would be the perfect wife after having all these others. She, in other words, what he's saying as a guy is she's into me. She really likes me. And uh, she's willing to do what it takes to be with me in a sexual manner. She's there. She's also a hard worker. She's pulling in the same direction with our family. But she's not below me. No, no, she's out there going and buying fields. She's working with me. We're doing things. This is a godly woman. So back to the New Testament, what about this, this uh, submissive stuff? Well, it's submissive in the context of being spirit-filled. Now, here's the thing. You know, I used to, to deal with horses, and uh, there's a saying, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Um, and the, the, whole, the whole concept with horses is you've got to be one with them. You all know the old terminology um, to be hitched, married. You know, they say they got hitched. Well, what is that talking about? Well, if, not many people in our culture have been around a wagon, but with a wagon, you get hitched to the wagon if you're a horse. And if you have a span of horses, two horses, you hitch both of them to the wagon. That's the idea behind being hitched. You're two of you getting hitched to the same wagon. You're pulling the same direction. That's what Solomon says. Is this, this is a virtuous situation when you're all going the same way. What happens in our culture? Well, too often, you know, look at the dramas on TV. Sometimes they just, they're funny, you know, because they they make up a dramatic situation that's just unreal, right? Um, Unfortunately, when I see people these days, they're living the dramas. And, And you've got a woman and a man who are made for each other. You can see it. But instead of going, we're going to pull the same direction, she says, well, I've got my career Oh, and you've got your career, and they go both opposite ways. I guess we're not meant to be. And they put their career over what God may have put in front of them. And I think that is so sad um, when you put your career ahead. Now, here's what I'm getting at. When, when you're pulling the same direction, you get hitched. That means you're saying, I'm hitching to your wagon. You're hitching to the wagon. We're both going to have to pull in life the same direction. And so you have to make your lives start melding together. I've always said it this way, you know, when you're running in life, which Paul says that in the New Testament, you know, we're running a race. You're running this life, in this life, a certain direction towards the Lord. You're you're moving towards what God has for you. And when you're running, you look over here and over there, and you don't catch the chick that's running as hard as she can the other way and reach out and grab her. What does that do on a racetrack? It wrecks you. And that's what I see a lot of young guys and girls do. They just wreck themselves because they latch onto this person that's running the opposite way. What I always say is when you look to the, your, to the side or this side of you and you find somebody that is running in life in the same direction as you, as hard and fast as you, you say, why don't we run together? And you hitch yourselves together and you go that way. And it's so easy. Here's what I'm getting at on the submissive thing for women it's in the context of spirituality, but it is following someone who is leading. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you're not going anywhere, men, no one's going to follow you. What, what would you do if you had a commander on the battlefield and he said, boys, it's really scary out there. <laughs> you know, like, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. It's scary. I'm not going anywhere. I'm putting my head under the rock. You're like, what a lousy commander. I can't follow this. So then what do you do? To save the day, you've heard the stories, you know. You become the leader. You go, okay, well, I'll lead then. We see women all over. This is ridiculous that we see more women that come to most churches than men. That's just the statistics. Our church is doing very good. I'm proud of you guys um, because you're here. You're present. Um, Lead. You know, here's a way that a guy leads in the family. You say, what are you doing Sunday? If I can, I'm going to church. You lead. Uh, You know, meals at the table, don't make your wife be the one to say, do you want to pray? You say, hey, one of you kids, do you want to pray? Do we want to have a prayer over our meal? Lead. Lead spiritually. That's what this is. This isn't leading like, no, you can't go there. You can't do that. That's not what this is talking about. He's saying in a spiritual context, the men are supposed to get out in front and lead. 
And the women then should want to follow. And you do want to follow. I love following people that are going somewhere. We all do. In a Christian home, this is how it should be. So he's saying here, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. You you should be aimed the same direction. Now, something that a lot of women do is they feel like in order to lead, they've got to be manipulative. Um, Because what happens is, scripturally it says, be submissive. So on the outer edges, we're submissive. But then we are manipulative underneath because, hey, we're going to get our way anyway. I know you women. I know you're mad at me now, but that's just how it is. Um, It's natural. And the Bible even talks about that. Um, It talks about this in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. And it says, you know what? I realize you're all married to men. And that's a big part of the problem. Um, You know, for you ladies, it's like, look who I'm married to. It's these men. They're they're hard-headed. They're pig-headed. I'm one of them, I know. We, We can be. You're like, it's hard to follow this guy. He's not, he's not exactly what I wish that he was. Jesus would say, I know, I'm working on him. Um, watch God work on him. But 1 Peter 3, 1 tells me this. And I know this from 20 years of marriage, that if your wife nags on you, for us stubborn guys, you just end up wanting to run the opposite direction. It doesn't help. And what 1 Peter 3, 1 says very simply is, when you see that your husband isn't the leader that you wish that he was, you be that quiet example in the Lord. So what does that look like? Well, I'm not going to church. I'm busy. Okay. Well, I'll take the kids and I'll go to church. And by doing that and over and over, trust me, your husband knows. And when you're that quiet example, not the nagging wife, Eventually, the husband says, you know, I think I'll go with. And eventually, he's running with, and then eventually, he's back in leading again, where it should be. And look, guys aren't supposed to lead spiritually because they're the best. It's just because the Bible says so. Women aren't supposed to be submissive because they don't know what they're doing. It's because the Bible says so. A lot of times, the the women that I know are actually more spiritually mature than the husbands they're married to. But it doesn't change the fact that they are submissive in pushing him in front and saying, this is the way it's going to be. Our military is built the same way. You've got to have some kind of rank and file. And there's a lot of generals who, frankly, just don't even know what they're doing. Um, as the orders come down, you, they realize that. There's people that are down the rank that know more, but they have to follow orders. And and Jesus would say, in our marriages, we got to do this stuff by the Bible because we have to have rank and file. Otherwise, we look like the rest of the world, and, and it doesn't look pretty out there. Um, our culture laughs at this. The divorce rate in America for 2020 went up. It's now 56% of marriages are ending in divorce. Um, 41%. Uh, of marriages don't last eight years. Uh, second marriages in our country are now ending 60% in divorce. Third marriages are 73% of them are in divorce. So third time's not always a charm. Um, every 34 seconds, there is a divorce in America. That's the world. I mean, do we want to do it their way? I don't think so. 876,000 divorces every year in our country alone. Um, If you live together before you get married, it increases your chances of divorce by 42% now. Oh, oh no, all these are statistics. With God, you can beat every one of these, okay? But the statistics are are not good. Uh, Harvard researcher uh, Shanti Felhan, he wrote this in his book, The Good News About Marriage. Uh, that she went into churches and did a lot of researches uh, for a bunch of the evangelical churches out there. And she found that in evangelical churches, uh, the divorce rate was 15%. In strictly Bible teaching churches, the divorce rate was under 10%. So it tells me that if we do things by the Bible or we at least know it in our marriages, it does help. And uh, God's 
way seems to, to work. Interesting. I mean, I, you know, just crazy. Um, so we'll study that. Um, he invented marriage. And, uh, you know, when you, when you look back in uh, Genesis chapter 2, the reason we're going to go there is because in verse 31 of our text today, uh, Paul quotes it. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined uh, to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He says it's a great mystery, but here in our text he's speaking concerning Christ and the church. We'll get to that in a minute. But to Genesis chapter 2, uh, starting in about, yeah, about verse 18. So if you believe in creation, in the beginning God created. Okay, Six days he creates Adam. And, and it's funny because everything, you know, he makes the, the animals and he says, this is, it's good. And, you know, the day finishes. He made this, this sun in the heavens. It's good. Uh, he made, uh, you know, animals. He made all that stuff. It's good. It is good. And then he looks at man. And it's the first time that there's a negative in the Bible where God says it's not good. Verse 18, the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. So, you know, he sees a guy aimlessly wandering around naked in the bushes, naming animals. And it's funny what happens here. If you really look at the story of creation, God looks at it and says, it's not good. Um, and then verse 19, out of the ground, God had already formed all the beasts of the field and the air. And he brought them then to Adam. So first he says, it's not good that Adam should be alone. I'm going to march all the animals by him. And we think, oh, so he could name them. I don't, I think God, God is always so good at working in, in the shadows. So I think he sees the issue. He says, it's not good that Adam's alone. I'm going to march the animals by because I already know it's not good. I want Adam to know that it's not good that he's alone. So he's going to be looking at these animals going, I'm so lonely. I, I, maybe, maybe I should marry a baboon, you know? And, and no, that's not going to work. Maybe a monkey. Maybe, you know, the giraffe. Oh, my goodness. You know, and as the animals come by, it's, and, and I know that's true because it says, verse 20, for Adam there was no, not found a helper comparable to him. So as he looked at everything, he goes, you're just a baboon. You're not my soul mate. And Adam came to the same conclusion, I think, that God had already come to. Same thing he does in our life. He looks at us and goes, it's not good that you're this way or that way or that you have this in your life. I already know it's not good. Now I'm going to work the situation in your life so that you come to that same conclusion. Just takes us a few years. I'm 41 now, you know, and I'm still coming to conclusions going, that's not good that that's in my life. And God's going, ah, yeah, yeah, I knew that 20 years ago. But you're, I'm just now getting you around to it. Well, that's what he's doing with Adam here. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep then to fall on Adam. That's wonderful because as soon as a young man realizes he's alone, I'm alone, I need a woman, then God says, time for you to go to sleep. I wish he'd do that to the high school kids these days. You know, just put a deep sleep on them for a while. Um, I mean, my kids, they had high school ages, you know, and here the boys come, you know. So uh, I'm just saying, it's just how it is. So this deep sleep, he came, it comes on Adam. He takes one of his ribs, and out of that he made a woman. And uh, Adam, he just wakes up, you know, and he says, wow, bone of my bones, flesh in my flesh. You know, it's not a baboon, it's not a monkey. And this is where the California vernacular comes in. He looks at her and he says, whoa, man. So then he calls her woman. And uh, she was taken, she's taken out a man. So, so th this is how it all came to be. Now, the woman was created to, not just to please the man, but to be his helpmate. If you ever wonder, like, where your place is in life, where you feel fulfilled, it's right in the middle of God's will for your life. And, you know, a lot of times women will find a relationship to be an attractive thing. And men are looking for that, and they find that to be an attractive thing. Therefore, it draws you together, you see. And you don't want to just be, uh, you know, I met in the bar and we're lust buddies. You don't want to be that. 
you want to be soulmates. And God created us to connect with another person, a special person, in more ways than just sexual. That's one way. And you need to be attracted. If you're not attracted, I mean, it's like, you know, this isn't going to work. You got to have physical attraction. But then you've got to have a soul attraction. That's why it says it in uh, Corinthians. It says, don't be unequally yoked. Don't, don't grab that girl or that guy that's running hard to the world because you're going to be unequally yoked and you're not going to have fun in life. If you're soulmates, that means you like to do the same things together. You know, um, wouldn't that be horrible? You know, if you're a country guy and you marry a city girl that just doesn't want to do your thing and you don't want to do her thing, it's like, well, we love each other. We were attracted to each other. We both believe in Jesus but we just don't want to live in the same place. That doesn't work well. So you want three-way connection here. You want spiritual. You want to both believe in Jesus. You want to have a soul connection. You want to do things together. You want to do life together. And then you want to have, obviously, a physical connection. And if you have all three of those, that's beautiful. If you have two of the three, you're lucky. Um, A lot of marriages make it on two out of three of those. But if you're just doing one of the three, you ain't going to make it very far. Uh, and that's what he's saying here. Look, you're going to be bone of my bones, flesh in my flesh. You're, you're, you're out of my body. You're part of me. You are woman. So it says, therefore, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they'll become one flesh. Now that's an important thing too. I'm going to touch this real fast and then keep moving, but it's the leave father and mother and then be joined. Why is that? Because when, when you leave, mom and dad. It's not means that you leave them and don't honor them anymore, that they don't have good advice. Um, they do. But I, I'll just put it this way, okay? If one of my kids is married and they come to me and they say, I'm having these fits, I'm going to give them some good godly advice, and that is uh, leave. <laughs> leave father and mother. He'd go back and be joined. And unless he is being unbiblical, beating you, uh, doing something like that, then, uh, you know, bring him by, tell him to stand in the yard. I'll be out with a gun. But otherwise, you know, you go and you leave mom and pop and you are joined there and go, go figure your own problems. That's great for a young married couple to live somewhere away from mom and dad. You know, you always know there's problems, you know, when mom and dad are too involved and you just want to just make yourself scarce. And uh, let them join together. And uh, but anyway, enough of that. I don't want to make everybody too mad today. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch mom and dad later. But uh, be joined to his wife. In other words, work to become one flesh. And so there's a, there's a joining time. Y'all remember that? You know, this is my closet. No, it's not anymore, guys. Uh, you don't have one no more. Uh, you know, it's it's the uh, it's going to be her closet. And I mean, there's there's things like that you're working out. That, that was my rig. You know, that's my vehicle. I'm like, well, now it's ours. And uh, she's driving it around. And there's all those sort of things. Um, you know, we had fits when we first got married sharing the bathroom. You know, it's like, this is this is my toothbrush and my things. And that's my toothpaste. You know, and I was very possessive. It's my toothpaste. Uh, you know, and, and you know, she, she was of the opinion, like, what's mine is yours. And I'm like, what's mine is mine. You know, I mean, I you know, so... We had those days of, of working those things out and because um, the honeymoon period lasts for a few months and then real life starts hitting like she ain't leaving. I mean, she's she's here to stay, you know, and uh, we've got to figure this deal out, you know, and the way we got married, you know, and I thought, OK, OK, all right. You know, I'm pretty young, but we can we can I can do this. And, um, you know, we got married. I didn't have a job or anything, so uh, rented a little farmhouse. And I was doing, you know, day work on ranches, which paid amazing money. And uh, I was uh, I was doing that and just praying for a job. I had several good leads, but uh, I was I was struggling with the idea of and the and the and the one is now two, you know. And so the bank account still one. So I'm trying to pay for more and do more. And and then she came to me after I think. I think two months in or three months in, and says, uh, sweetie, um, uh, what? And I'm like, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, how did that happen? You know, I, I just, I was really lost. And uh, 
So our, our, our first year anniversary, I think, what do we go, Wendy's? Yeah, I mean, it was like drive through Wendy's because we had a screaming one-month-old. You know, I've been married 12 months. Yeah, if everybody asking, so how long y'all been married? And you're like, yeah, just barely long enough. I mean, I, I don't know what happened, you know, but life hits you hard. It hits you hard, you know, and uh, it, I'm, glad that it, I'm glad that I stuck with it and through those early years when you're having the kids and you don't have a job and you're bouncing around, you know, you hit that year uh, seven and eight and you start wondering, are we going to make it? You know, are we going to make it through all of this? And because it was based on this, we made it. We're here today. And I'm glad because it's a testimony to what the Lord has written here for us all. That even through hard times, if we base your marriages uh, on what the Lord says, it can work out. And through hard times, through thick and thin, if you both believe in Jesus, and if you will get in your role and do it, women, to the best of your ability. And I know it's hard, and I know it's tough, and men, step up. Step up. You'll be blessed if you lead. I mean, you're just, you'll be blessed. I always find it in churches, this is across America. I looked this, I'll share it. I wrote it here somewhere. Let's see. Yes. Statistics. Okay. So in most churches, they have men's fellowships, women's fellowships. Um, the women's fellowship runs at 62% of the women in a church will attend the women's fellowship. 4% of the men attend the men's fellowships across America. What is that telling me across the board? That men are too busy to lead. Men are too busy to be part of. The evangelical churches in the, just the United States, that's all the figure I have, uh, are filled right now with 73% women and the rest are men. That's of all age groups. Something's off, guys. So, I mean, I'm straight at you men. If, if you want your wife to say, I follow this guy, then go somewhere. Be moving in life. In fact, what I noticed in my life is when when I was off, she's on. And so you're kind of like a teepee in life. If you've ever put up a teepee, they're very frustrating if you have one pole. Um, you need at least two, right? Because they have to lean on each other. The, the premise of a teepee is you have poles leaning on each other at the top, and it holds the thing up. That's a marriage. Uh, you're both leaning on each other, and so you don't fall. And when I'm weak spiritually in those years, I've noticed that Beth was the first Peter 3.1. She was quiet. She prayed a lot for me. And uh, she was that great example, and it pulled me back, you know. And and so then I would get back, and I'd get back in my role. Like, okay, babe, I'm back. I'm leading, you know. And so away we go. It's just, okay, I'm following again, you know. And here we go again. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a subservient under me thing. It's a, it's a positional thing. We just want our marriage to look like this. We want it to look like Jesus says a marriage is supposed to look like. And so she's done a phenomenal job, and I haven't. You know, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what she did so wrong you know, in life to deserve me, but she ended up with me. So, um, so anyway, that, I mean, I think, I think we've covered that. Coming on down, uh, verse 24, uh, back in our text, uh, so as the church is subject to Christ, so because we're following Christ, again, not because Christ is down here beating us over the head. He's our example in all things. So we're trying to be like Christ. And your women are going, wait a minute, but this guy I'm married to, he ain't like Jesus. And I know, but you're supposed to be aimed that way. I mean, guys, didn't this set such a high standard for us? They're like, wait a minute. So they're supposed to be watching us and trying to act like me? Boy, I hope not. Uh, you know, well, we need to change that. And for us men, that's our aim is to start acting like Jesus with the love of Christ. Um, so husbands, love your wives, verse 25. Love your wives. Not just sexually love your wives. That's not what it says. It says, clarifying, just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for her. Whoa, that, that brings up so much. So that means in life, when, when I was single, 
I was going places. I had things I wanted to do, things I wanted to buy, you know. But when you get married, you say, I'm shelving a lot of that stuff because I'm married and I'm going to do things now for my wife. I want to be the example. So if I don't necessarily want to go to a church or be there, I'm going because it's a good example for my wife to go because this is putting us in the right place. A lot of times, the best things in life that we do, sort of like working out, um, if you're into fitness, you know, you know good and well, you know, in your line, if you say you love going to work out every single time. There are times when you are literally having to beat yourself out the door going, I just don't want to today. And uh, if you're a good person, you want to most of the time. But, um, you know, it's a, something good. It's like eating vegetables. This is good for me. You know that in your in your mind. But you just don't want to eat healthy because it's just not that much fun. And that's how a lot of things are in life. Marriage can be the same way in certain times when it's like, this is not what I want to do, but this is good for my marriage and it's good for my kids. So I will be that example. And he's saying, husbands, you love your wives in that way. And you're going to basically give your life what you thought you were going to live. You're now going to live a different life, one that your wife is going to look up to, your kids are going to look up to. And, you know, guys, are we going to do this right? No, we're all going to fail. But where are we aimed? And that's all we can, you know, we, we say, I'm aimed to look like Christ. That's good enough. Uh, be aimed the right way. And he, so Christ, he loved the church. He gave himself for her. And that's talking about his life uh, dying on the cross, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Now, what, what's he saying here? Okay, so the church is the, the, the what we would say ecumenical church. That's just a fancy word to mean that's the not just our little congregation, but that's every church around the world today and for all time. All the Christians, Jesus died on the cross for all of the Christians everywhere because collectively we are the church. And the Bible says that collectively we're all, we represent the woman in the relationship and he's the guy and we are what would be called the bride of Christ. So he's saying, Remember that your marriage, the guy and the girl here, it's a huge picture of Jesus and the church. So if you want to know kind of how a marriage should work, look at how the church should work. You want to see how the church should work, look at a really uh, biblical marriage and you see sort of the roles. So we can follow Christ because he is Christ. He's perfect. And we say, I want to, I want to as a member of the bride of Christ, I want to copy Jesus. What would Jesus do here? I want to walk in love. I want to be like Jesus because he's the perfect example. That's how our marriages are supposed to work. So he says uh, that he might sanctify cleanser with the washing of water by the word. Now, <laughs> when I was going to Bible college, it was kind of going around like, all right, guys, you have to sit down and read your Bible to your wife out loud and wash her with the water of the word. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't go too far with that of sitting down and having to read it. But are you willing to talk about the word in your home with your wife? Are you willing to bring up points out of the Bible and say, you know what? I think with this situation that just came up, the Bible says this. I think this is the way we ought to be handling that right on. In other words, the book is the manual. You need to know it well enough that you can implement it in your lives. What good is it when you have a, a issue come up? You know, something that comes up, a, a discrepancy with your wife, and then you throw the manual away and go deal with it on your own. It's not very smart. So as a man, we're supposed to know our Bible well enough that we can basically pour the, the word over the situation and say the Bible would say we got to forgive them, sweetheart. The Bible would say we've got to quit gossiping about them. The Bible would say that that's where we need to be. And that's a, it's a good place. That he might present her, verse 27, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So he's not doing anything. Jesus isn't with us to beat us up. He does everything in our lives to bring us closer to him. That's how we're supposed to be with our wives. We ought to come into and not accuse her of wrong or beat her up mentally. We're supposed to come to our wife and go, ah, I, I'm with you on this, and I'm, uh, but I think the Bible says that we shouldn't be gossiping or that we should be 
looking at this this way. Let's pray about it together. You really want your wife to just open up to you guys? Offer to pray with your wife. Pray with your wife. And you'll see a new level of, I mean, look, okay, there's not too many young guys here. I don't want to spill the beans, but there's a lot of young guys at Bible colleges and that float around some churches, and they're so good at mimicking this, and they they get all the girls because they're Mr. Spiritual. Go to Bible college and you'll see it. Oh, do you have a problem? Do you want to pray about it? They're so good. They, oh, yes, I want to pray about it. Oh, come here. Let me give you a hug. Let's just pray. You know, and they just, they just reel them in, you know, with the spiritual mumbo jumbo. Now, why does that work so well? Because women are looking for the crying shoulder, guys. So be a real crying shoulder. It, it actually say, come here, let's pray about it. And they will love you if you're genuine. Okay, be genuine about it and uh, come together. So uh, good stuff. Now, verse 28, if you're confused, guys, and I know I see it on some of you, you're still up, what is this? We're going to clarify it. Verse 28, husbands, this is how you're supposed to love your wife. You love your wife as your own body. Okay, so if you're still confused, like I don't understand, how would you treat yourself? Do you dote on yourself? Yes. Do you buy stuff for yourself? Yes. You know, I have seen guys that go out and buy themselves thousands of dollars worth of toys while their wife drives a jalopy around. Not cool, guys. Um, I have seen guys who save up money and they go on trips and vacations and leave their wife at home. Not cool, guys. <laughs> I have seen guys on and on and on that do these. I, I, I just, my wife would have said, we may still be married, but there's some things changing around here. I mean, it wouldn't be a happy home, you know. My wife's a good cook, and I mean, I, would, I don't want to hack the cook off. I mean, just, for, you know, be nice. Um, when in doubt, be nice. That's, it's, just, it's a good rule. But, you know, I like my own self um, probably better than anybody I know. Now, that's a line out of John Wayne movie. But um, I, I, I like myself. You know, I take care of myself. I may not look like it, but I try. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and a lot of guys, they're shopping for clothes for themselves. They, I mean, you know, guys actually do care, care about your wife the same way. And, uh, so he who loves his wife, he loves himself. What's that saying? Very simply, uh, if you love your wife, you actually love yourself because if you love her, she loves you back. So this is like, if nothing else grabbed you, maybe Paul got you with that one. If you didn't get the rest of it, if you love your wife, guys, she'll love you back. Hint, hint, okay? So he says at the end of it, it's supposed to be a circular thing. It is sort of like the wedding ring. I'm sure you've all heard it. You know, it's a marriage is a circle. The more that you love your wife, the more she loves you. And then the more you love your wife, the more she loves you. And it just builds and it builds. And I can say for our marriage, 20 years later, we do complete each other's sentences. We don't have to talk it out nearly as often uh, these days because I already know she didn't like it, you know. Um, so I don't even ask, you know. And vice versa. We, we know each other very well, but there's that circle of love. And it just builds. And, uh, and there's a circle of forgiveness, too. I'll say this. You know, when you're first married, a lot of people, they bring up everything, every argument, and um, they'll say they forgive, but they never really do. They, the women, for some reason, hold on to things. So the next argument is five minutes longer because you've got to back it up to day one, and we re-mention everything you did wrong again. 20 years later, when they say, we just live in perpetual arguments, I'm like, well, why? Because i got 20 years of history. It just never ends from sunup to, to, you know, sundown she can just keep going through our past you always do this and you're never and you always and and on and on you go forgive that's another little circle love 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 and forgive forgive and forget put it away and it makes marriage to be wonderful and so all of that is in this text i love it verse 29 no one ever hated his own flesh you don't hate your own body but you nourish and you cherish it just as the Lord does the church. 
Notice it doesn't say just as the husband does the wife. It, it, the, that's the perfect example is how the Lord treats the church, treats all of us. Then it says, because we're members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. The, remember it talked about marriage, the two are joined and they're one. That's how Jesus looks at us. When he died on the cross and when he came back, he looked at, uh, you know, he met Mary Magdalene. And then he said, go and tell my brothers that I'm risen. And that word jumped off at me. Wait a minute. That was Jesus. And he just called them his brothers. Go and tell my brothers because he views us as family. He views us as family. And when you get married, that's sort of the way that's supposed to be. It's more than a sexual union. It's supposed to be a soulmate, married under the Lord and with the Lord between you. The two become one. And this is a great mystery. The two become one. And if you're dealing, you know, in other words, if you're dealing with my wife, you're dealing with me. If you're dealing with me, you're dealing with my wife. There's nothing that should be able to come between you. And, uh, and that's what this is saying. It says, for this reason. I find that interesting. For this reason. So what, what reason? For we're members of his body. So this, this union, because we're one with Christ, it's for that reason that our marriages have to look right. Because Christian couples in here, you guys in your marriages are representing something that is a mystery of Jesus and the church. And you're representing that to your kids, to your family, and to everyone around you. So if you say, this looks different than marriage of the world, yes, because Jesus looks different than the rest of the gods of this world. And we want to be set apart and holy. That's what he says he wants to do with the church. He wants us to be set apart and holy. And that's what I want for my wife. I want her to be set apart. I want her, In other words, what is holy? Set apart from the world. I want to do everything I can to aim my family towards Jesus. And I know most of you men in this room feel the exact same way. And so to me, this scripture is a wonderful encouragement there because Jesus loved us so much that he came and he died on the cross for us. And he did give his own body for us. And so, you know, today, Resurrection Sunday, that's what we're celebrating is how much Jesus loved us. And it's unfathomable. You know, we were talking before church about the movie, The Passion of the Christ. They tried very hard, did a great job with that movie to lay out what happened at the cross and, and coming through that. Um, but we also said the movie doesn't do it justice as far as it was so much more what Jesus did on the cross. He was separated from God, his father there on the cross spiritually for us. He went through that much because, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave. I want to so love my wife that I give, that I walk in love, that I am filled with the Spirit, and that I lead the family to be more like Christ in that context. And that's what he wants for all of you guys. So, as we end this morning and we look at what Jesus did, I know we're all getting out of here and going and doing family things, and it's due to all those marriages and, and all that we have, our families here. Remember our heavenly Father and the family, the spiritual family that we have, Jesus, and what he did for us. And in, in even more, as I look at that, I want my marriage to be deeper and more and to represent Christ. And so I hope we didn't butcher this too much this morning. I hope that we may have even laid out a few new ideas for people to think about and for couples to think about. Um, I think I probably hammered the men harder than the women. That's on purpose. Uh, men usually just leave. You no know, women get mad and vindictive and all that. So I don't want to hear about it. So, you know, let's make it an aim. And I encourage you guys to look at it, to, to be self-judging in our own marriages and go, there's some things that we could do uh, to fix. You don't have to, you know, do any big things, but for men just to look and go, I could be leading better spiritually. For women to say, I'm going to follow in such a way that I'm pushing you to lead. 
And we could make our homes be something that our kids look at and go, Mom and Dad, man, they had a great marriage, and I want my marriage to be like theirs. We can example this stuff. Amen? As you guys leave out today and go, I know it's an odd message. I told you we'd get back to Jesus on the cross. Um, it, it's here. It's just in a, it's a, it's a, a new way to look at it as we look at our marriage and go, I got a lot to live up to. Jesus died on the cross for his bride. I'm not anywhere close to that. We've got a lot to do. So uh, I encourage you guys in your marriages. Uh, I encourage you in living for Christ. And, uh, and I encourage you as you leave and you do family things today to uh, remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, I want to lift up especially all of the marriages, Lord, that are represented here. And Lord, I ask a blessing on them, Lord. We have, as we looked at earlier, we have young marriages. We have uh, up to older marriages that are all represented here in our little church, Lord. And Lord, I pray for every single one of them that your will would be done and that your spirit would reside in the middle of those homes and in those marriages. Lord, if there are women here today that are hearing these things and saying to themselves, I got a few things I want to work on, then Lord, I pray you'd help them. Lord, if there's men here today that are saying there are some things here I need to work on to to lead in my home spiritually and to push people towards being more Christ-like, then Lord, I pray you would convict and that you would also be there to help, Lord, as we make our homes to represent you better. Lord, we thank you for what you did all those many years ago for us. You are the perfect, Lord, uh, bridegroom and our groom, us being the bridegroom, Lord, you're, you're, you're perfect. We look to you, Lord, for our example in all things. May we, Lord, be more like you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.